Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,993. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts. I should say aloha because today I'm in beautiful Oahu, Hawaii with a very special guest by the name of John Houlihan. John, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear and are you ready to release the clutch? Yes, I am. All right. Ah, the Hawaiian trade winds. So nice this time of year uh, for those of us who live where it maybe isn't so warm. Before we uh, get started and we talk about an amazing career that you had in design, I'd love for you to tell us one little thing that maybe most people don't know about you. I'm a guitar player, have been since, my God, the eighth grade. Wow. Playing various bands all throughout. even in even when I worked at Timex, Timex had a rock and roll band. Really? Yeah, they did. It was the Timex expansion band with the fabulous Indiglo girls. <laughs> there were three girls. They were quite attractive and they could sing. And and it was I'll tell you what, it was maybe the best band I ever played in musically. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah, these guys were good. I mean they had the bass player was no question the finest bass player I've ever had the uh, honor to play with. Wow, very cool. And the other guys were damn good. I mean, I had to really work to keep up with these fellows. (laughs) Well, that sounds cool. Yeah, I started playing guitar when I was about six or seven years old, so I didn't keep up quite as prolifically as you have. I didn't play in my older years. I still have my guitars here, and I'm always surprised that the muscle memory's still there. I'll pick up a guitar, and I can just play, like, classical gas. Now, probably probably because that was a song that I had to learn how to play at a, uh, a recital in front of a lot of people, so I practice and practice and practice but i'm always kind of shocked when i pick up the guitar and or if i look at sheet music i used to be able to read sheet music and write music and i can pick out things and go oh yeah i kind of remember that but i need to play more good for you classical yeah kind of fun kind of fun well let me give you a proper introduction because today's more about cars than music john houlihan graduated from the university of notre dame in 1966 after earning a degree in industrial design and fine art he was hired by general motors working under dave north in the design and development and then later in the advanced studios and future concept vehicles department he was also involved in design for for the 71 buick riviera Botel. that was a very cool car and the chevy vega had a good friend in high school that had one of those after his time at gm he worked at smith corona and general electric designing products for those companies he also worked at timex and he played in a band in watch design as well later in life john got more into cars he added a 1962 austin healey bt7 tri-power to his garage then a 73 volvo p1800 es now there's a cool design car and a c7 lt2 we'll be back in just a minute but first a word from our valued sponsor so give them a little love and we'll be right back and think about those trade winds blowing across your face while you're sitting in the snow we'll be right back 
Covercraft's newest five-layer indoor cover is especially engineered for indoor use, providing maximum dust protection when your vehicle's stored in the garage. Your five-layer indoor cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form, and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Even if your vehicle is always inside, dust and fallout can damage the paint, and an extra layer of soft, breathable material protects from accidental bumps and rubs. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. Every one of my vehicles is protected with a Covercraft cover, custom fit to fit the car like a glove. And I have a deal for you. If you use the code YEAH21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your order plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Simply use the code YEAH, Y-E-A-H-2-1 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. I was tired of my rates for my collector car insurance going up every year for no explainable reason. My carrier seemed to be turning into a media company versus an insurance company, and I realized that a portion of my policy premium was paying for all those so-called free media goodies. So I did my homework, I talked to knowledgeable collectors, shopped around, and discovered American Collectors Insurance. They've been serving the collector car hobby since 1976. You last that long by properly serving your customers' insurance need, not with a lot of fluff. ACI is ranked the number one online collector car insurance provider according to Google, Trustpilot, Facebook, and they offer their real person guarantee live support. No never-ending phone loops when you need help. Plus, because you don't use your classic car as a daily driver, you could save up to 40% compared to regular auto insurance. American Collectors Insurance provides agreed value policies. So if you experience a total loss to your collector vehicle or it's stolen, you'll be paid the amount listed on your declaration page, less any deductibles, of course. No ifs, ands, or buts. Give them a call today and ask for your free quote at 866-A-C-I-Y-E-A-H. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Greens, at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. So, John, let's uh, talk a little bit more about your business. And I'd love to to start, of course, with GM because you were involved in some pretty special cars. My understanding was that the Riviera was a pet project for the legendary uh, William L. Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the, your involvement in that, how you worked with the uh, Riviera Boat Tail. Well, I, it was in uh, Advanced Buick Studio Jerry Hirschberg was the uh, studio chief designer, and um, Graham Bell was the assistant chief designer in and out. I was uh, replacing Joan Claydell in that studio. Joan's been a guest on this show. She's the one that introduced me to you. Yeah, well, I think that was when she left GM, as a matter of fact, and I got to uh, fill in for her at Jerry's studio. Wow. And there, this, this model had been kicking around... Uh, I think in and out of some Buick studios, either another advanced studio, uh, body de- not body development, what am I thinking? Might have been in uh, Studio X, mm. uh, Mitchell's secret personal studio. But anyway, we, we had this fantastic 3A scale model 
that a fellow from Australia had come back. He, he was an American, but he was in Australia for a while, came back and designed. And this, this was a Buick Riviera that was just the sleekest thing you've ever seen. And we thought that was going to be the next Riviera. Mm-hmm. On a unique package, it wasn't an A, it wasn't an E. It was somewhere in between. It had unique glass, it, uh, which is a very expensive thing to tool for. It had unique everything. Yeah. And so the, the investment in this car would have been substantial. But mainly, it was, it was Mitchell's sweep spear dream car come true. And he's always been a fan of this whooping shape, Delahaye looking um, kind of design. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was on top of this, like, well, all kinds of metaphors I could think of. <laughs> and, and it was really quite something to be uh, involved in that project, like right off the bat, coming out of um, I know, whatever studios I was already in. This was, this was really an opportunity. That was a very unique looking car. I mean, it it didn't look like anything else that most of us had ever seen. And when you think back now at how strict a lot of bureaucracy was in these huge automotive worlds, how did how do you guys pull off getting that thing actually built? Well, actually, we didn't. And not that sleek, the harsh model. We never did. The AE, the unique glass, none of that was allowed because the Buick management, I just don't remember the gentleman's name, probably shouldn't say it anyway. First of all, never got along with Mitchell. I don't think Mitchell got along with anybody. <laughs> he was he was an independent guy, wasn't he? Oh, man, yeah. Anyhow, this guy was just flat out not going to spend the tooling dollars for a unique anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he would begrudgingly allow this and that, and a new Riviera was necessary. So we had to take that very sleek design and fitted over a B-body, a Sabre-type Buick. Using the B-body glass meant the windshield. The windshield was wider than the car, that uh, original car. It was sticking out right and left like you couldn't believe. And, I mean, at the time, I couldn't, when when I saw that go up on the board and the points you had to go through with the tape, I couldn't believe it. Like, how are we going to do this? Yeah, And it's really a credit to Hirschberg and, and the guys in that studio that they pulled it off, that we got that car laid out finally after, a, I mean, uh, I don't know how many full-size tape drawings and renderings it took, but we managed to do it. Now, the car went from a shark to a whale. <laughs> and it was also, because of its uniqueness, because of the pointed front end, because of the pointed rear end and the, and the swooping fastback shape, the boat tail, it was a controversial design. And people either loved it or hated it, and more hated it than loved it. And we got a lot of flack in the studio. Hirschberg took a lot of heat from his fellow chief designers uh, on, on this, uh, what they call a theatrical, whatever, uh, paying to Mitchell fantasies. But wow. they pulled it off. It happened it's through sheer force of will on Mitchell's part, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, that car, you look at the rear end of that car, and even the front in a respect, but the back, of course, is what makes it. And it just, you kind of go, wow, how, you know, this is so different. It's so cool. And almost like a Batmobile in a it way. Is. It truly is. And, and it, it, 
another reason it, it managed to be come into reality was because it was just preceding the bumper restrictions that were coming into play at that time. In fact, the re, the 73, I don't consider the 73 a true boat tail because the boat tail got lopped off for partly because of the bumper uh, restrictions, but mostly because of the uh, Buick management who hated the car. Hmm. And literally one time I remember this guy, the, the, the manager, put his foot on the bumper and shoved it real hard and a whole chunk of clay fell off the model. You know, I had, I had Peter Brock on the show. He's become a friend of mine. And of course, he's known for, you know, working as a very young person hired way back in the day. And he told me the same story one time about a, a big wig coming in and they had the clay car there and he brought his wife in or something and didn't like the car. And so the guy grabbed the fin and just snapped it right off and threw it oh. on the floor and walked out. And it was like, whoa, okay, sorry. I had no idea. Later on, I talked to Dave North about things. I had no idea what went on behind the scenes. I was just a, a, a young kid. I did my job. I paid attention to my sketches and work. I didn't really know the ins and outs of the politics and all. But there was all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, it was a, a very unique time in the automotive world. And you almost think back to people like Bill Mitchell and others that had so much power and persuasion. And you think, how did they pull this off? Like, how, how did that happen? But it was just a different time. Well, yeah, well, what was it? I mean, if, if any of that stuff went on today, Mitchell would be, well, he wouldn't be working at GM, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, he, he'd have been sued, at least. Yeah, probably. Because some of the stuff that he said to people and did, and oh my God, it was just... Crazy. Well, and when Joan was a guest on the show, she talked about the fact that she was the first woman to work in there and they, they yeah. kind of actually hid her away whenever the big wigs would come down because they didn't want them to know there was a woman in there and then when they found out well she was out and you were in yeah you know that's right that was a shame that there was some sexual harassment i guess is what you call it going on of course yeah and people got away with it so uh yeah it wasn't they didn't even think of it at the time no, unfortunately, unfortunately, things have changed now. But yeah, a fascinating story. Let, let's talk a little bit about the Vega because you know, oh. we're going we're going from one extreme to the other here. I know with a more affordable car. But I remember a friend of mine. I was old for my age because I was born in January, so I was always a little older than my friends. So I got my driver's license before all my buddies did. But there was one other guy I knew that got his, and his parents bought him a, a Vega. But it was now this would have been seventy four ish, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, but his parents bought him this, it was like the Vega trying to be a sports car or something. And I remember it had special stripes on it or something, but it was kind of a bit of a joke. Well, there, it was, like, it was, it was a, a Vega. version, which was kind of cool looking. But then there was a Cosworth that was a sports car. Yeah, I don't think his was that one. <laughs> yeah, that I think, was yeah, so tell me about the Vega. Like, what was the thought process when that car was being was designed and then brought to market? Well, that was, that was um, Edward N. Cole's effort. He championed that car. He wanted a car to compete with Volkswagens, but mainly the, the oncoming Japanese cars, small cars. He, he definitely, and, the, and he was a big champion of the Corvair, which got ruined by, unfairly, I might add, by Nader. Oh, yeah. It just went down the tubes, and he wanted to atone, I suppose you could say, for that. And the Vega was the... Um, the model that he chose to champion. And at first, the Vega 
wasn't called a Vega. It was called the XP887. Nobody had a name for it yet. For a time, believe it or not, for a time it was going to be called the, um, uh, what's that Cadillac, uh, cost Cadillac from the 30s. Maybe the LaSalle? It was going to be that. It was not a Cadillac. It was a sub-Cadillac in between Oldsmobile and Cadillac. It was the XP887 at the time. Mm-hmm. And the um, styling direction went back and forth. The one we, when I was in advanced Chevy, this was an advanced Chevy studio at the time. We had a model in there that came from another studio, probably from Chevy two or some other Chevy uh, styling studio. And it was too GME. It was the, the crit. It looked too much like a GM car. And so we had to make it look more European. We had pictures of the Fiat 124s and those ilk, that ilk up on the wall, trying to emulate that rather crispy, boxy European look at the time. And But I'll tell you what, the really good-looking car was going on in, I'm, it probably was Chevy 2 Studio, the Camaro design. Oh, yeah. It has that kind of baby Camaro look to it. Exactly, because I think a couple of us got latched onto that, and we just couldn't. The first time I saw that Camaro, it blew me away. (laughs) A guy named George Gallion made a uh, full-size, full-size, get this, perspective rendering in full three-quarter front top-down perspective of, of of the Camaro, and it was stunning. Just, I could not get it out of my head. And beyond that, there was a station wagon Camaro in the studio an elongated big and big glass in the back station wagon which I couldn't think of anything else and I came back to the studio and made a rendering of it a full-size tape got permission from this they weren't tooling station wagon they were only tooling a fast back and a notch back okay and that was it and so I did this rendering of a wagon it looked good and as a matter of fact, I finished it up and uh, I, I worked on it nights and weekends and finished it up just before the Edward Cole entourage was going to visit. And what happened was I was I came in early and uh, it was I mean, early, like 5 a.m. And uh, was working on the tape drawings and the rendering, the airbrush rendering and getting it done. And the door started to rattle. All the doors were locked in those days. Maybe they still are. I, I, <laughs> uh, and so I went over, opened the door. Who could this be? And there he was, Edward N. Cole, president wow. of General Motors, and no one else, just him. Wow. And I, I was completely in shock. And, and I'll never forget this. I said, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I, I couldn't believe it. And then I thought, oh, my God, that's my ticket out of here. But he ignored that and came in and he said, I, I want to see what's going on in, in, on this car. And I, not what you guys or uh, people here want me to see. I want to see what's really happening. Will you show me that? And I said, sure. Yeah, wow. what so I had to take him around the studio. Here's the notchback clay model. Here's the other one. And, he, and the tape drawing, I mean, the rendering wasn't finished. There was tape and masking and stuff hanging off. He said, what's that? And I said, oh. Well, that, that's a station wagon version that I'm working. He said, we're not tooling the station wagon. And I said, I know that, Mr. Cole, but it is just a stunningly good design. And it would be the kind of a car 
that a guy like me or family like me would want to be able to afford. We can't afford even a Malibu is going to cost more money. And we want a wagon. A lot of families want a wagon. And it's certainly not a big B-body. Uh, this would be perfect, perfect for a young family, little kids. And he shook his head and that was it. And I thought, oh, Jesus. Now, when he finally came back hours later with the entourage, and I mean, they had everybody comes in. They were accountants and engineers. and, and But the studio personnel, with the exception of the uh, chief designer, the chief, the studio engineer, and the chief clay modeler sometimes were relegated to the back room. We had to get out. <laughs> so, but I climbed up on the lockers and could see into the studio so I could see what was going on. <laughs> and there, and the, the group is going around looking here and there. I was, by the way, had to put the rendering away. The boards, these, these big full-size boards slid up into the ceiling so they wow. would be out of the way. And so I had to put mine out of the way. And Cole says to the, the chief designer said, where's the wagon rendering? Uh-oh. And, <laughs> I know. And luckily, I had his permission to do it, and he knew where it was. And he said, uh, right over here, Mr. Cole, he rolled it down. And Cole looked at the group. He said, all right. He said, small families are going to need this car. We're going to tool for this. Oh, my gosh. What, what, what did you think when you heard that? I thought, my God, it wasn't my ticket out of here. But nothing else ha- ever happened. I didn't get any more accolade or credit for it. But... I mean, personally, I thought that was great. Oh, wow. What a cool inside story. You know, it's just amazing sometimes how things come to be in the world and in automotive, uh, the automotive journals, if you will, that we never even know these stories. And, and others, of course, that come to fruition and we all go, who the heck does <laughs> approve that? <laughs> That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. You know, you've talked about some pretty amazing people. Is there a, a driving inspiration in your life, some kind of key mentor or very influential person in your your days of designing vehicles well as far as design goes the north was a very very big help to me at first when i first came there i knew nothing at all i mean nothing and he was extremely helpful there's a guy named bernie smith i don't know if you heard ever heard his name uh bernie was a chief designer and i worked for bernie the first studio out of design development he was incredibly helpful and there was another fellow who sadly died uh, not too long after I left named Gordon Brown. And Gordy was a, a really good designer and, and very helpful to me. In fact, Gordy saved me in a way because I had gotten an offer from Chrysler. A lot of guys did that. They'd get these offers. And, there was, and the Chrysler guy that made the offer was, was running this, this uh, styling department, a guy named Nart Blakesley. And, and uh, I went in to see Gordy. He was my boss at the time. And I said, I've got this offer. And he said, OK, hold it. He closed the door. He said, all right, here's what I want you to understand. This is like a silver bullet. You get one. Mm. So it damn well better be a good one. Because, <laughs> you know, you're not going to come back here. And if you don't like it there, what are you going to do? You right. Know? Yeah. And I thought about it. And he said, you know, the money is great. They're going to offer you a lot more money. But he said, you're going to get used to that. It's not going to make that much difference in your life. Mark guy. And anyway, I took his advice. I stayed at GM. Yeah, very cool. We're going to take a short break. We come back. I want to talk about a big challenge you had in those days working on vehicles. I'm sure there was a few of those. So sit tight and we'll be right back. 
Spray on, wipe off sealants are a quick, safe, and easy way to clean and protect your vehicles. And I use them on my own beloved rides, geez, almost every week. AutoGeek's Blackfire SiO2 spray sealant is a spray on, a wipe away sealant that uses SiO2 ingredients to provide a slick, brilliant, and long lasting shine. Silicon dioxide is known to be one of the most effective ingredients in car care products, and Blackfire SiO2 spray sealant takes advantage of every stunning feature. This sealant will protect your paint from road, film, dirt, and other common contaminants while providing an impeccable, long-lasting, hydrophobic surface that forces water to sheet and bead on your paint for months. Go to autogeek.net and get yours for the best product selection on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. That's autogeek.net. It's where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on firsthand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions. Ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. So let's talk about this. Obviously, your career, you had a long, fruitful career. Obviously, there was challenges, maybe even failures from here or there. But is there one that really stands out that was a great learning lesson for you? I'll say two, two learning lessons, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, when I, I left GM in the early 70s, um, early 1970, actually, and because I wanted to get other design experience, I was afraid that if you stayed too long as a car designer that you'd never be anything else. Not that that's bad, because other design people didn't take car designers seriously. I don't know if you knew that or not. No. Oh, yeah. The uh, world of industrial design is very elitist, and they think car design is all flash and sketches and not valid product design and ergonomics and, and you know knowledge of how things work and how manufacturing works. We're, and they're wrong, completely flat out wrong. The, the truth is, if you can design a car, you can design anything. Mm, yeah. The other way around. Anyway, I wanted to make sure I understood that firsthand. So I got a job at SEM first, designing business machines and typewriters and things like that, adding machines, which is, you know, when you think about it, Jesus, why would you want to do that when you could After be doing cars? Art? Yeah. And, and the car guys thought I was crazy, but it was challenging. I'm telling you, it really was challenging. Uh, and then I got w- worked at General Electric doing co- uh, consumer electronic products, and that was it was great fun. And but it was not as challenging a um, a, a field in, for designers because those products are basically boxes, and they have high relief. You know, uh, parts could go in and go out or. There's recesses, and but it's not a three-dimensional 
sculptural entity so much. Sure. And uh, and when I finally got to work at um, Timex, I was back into the three dimensional sculptural challenge, where where scale and styling and uh, sculpture was really crucial to the success of the product. But okay, but uh, we were getting to the mistakes that I've made. <laughs> When I was at GE, I, I took an offer at Texas Instruments in, in Texas, Lubbock, Texas. Do you ever hear of Lubbock? Oh, Texas. yeah. Sure. Lubbock is, is a pool table. It gives new definition to flat. <laughs> and one of the guys said you could stand on a beer can and see the whole town. He wasn't exaggerating. Anyway, I had this, this reaction, psychological reaction to Lubbock. I couldn't stand it. Mm. The, the vast horizon, the vast nothingness, uh, I just hated it. So I had to get the hell out of there. That was a mistake. What I was paying attention to was the job and the, uh, like Gordy said, the bucks that really don't really matter in the, in the long run. Other factors, but not where I was living. And that was a mistake. But I managed to extricate myself with the help of my dad. I worked for a Milton Bradley, a division of uh, Milton Bradley, which is a toy and game company. Oh, sure. And learned a lot about the, the toy business and learned that, that styling and design didn't so much matter as clever, innovative techniques and um, little tricky things that, that unique uh, no novelty items. Mainly that two things, that the item had uh, at least certain dollars of advertising earmarked for it or the buyers wouldn't buy it and that it had a license at the time it was star wars and or disney were the big licenses if, if it, otherwise the, the item didn't really matter much hmm, uh, it, i mean from a styling and design standpoint but when i got to timex styling mattered completely it was the most important thing uh from a from the standpoint of attracting consumer interest Right. The, way, the way it looks, regardless of cost, is, if you, if people have to like it. They're going to wear it. You know, it's got to be something they really are attracted to and makes makes them feel more attractive themselves. Oh, of course. Yeah. But Takes the biggest mistake I made the whole time, I, and I never did correct it in, in time, was that I neglected my family mm. job. I was focused on where was I working, how what was the job and what was I doing? And I'd work all kinds of overtime without regard to being at home. Yeah. I even gave up days, weeks of vacation in order to work on projects. And when I look back on that now, I see what a mistake that was. You know, I've heard this from so many people, the importance of family and time for family and how many people my age, your age, look back and go, why did I give up so much of my valuable time to my work instead of the more important aspects of life, my family? And it's a hard lesson to learn when you get older because, as you and I know, time is the enemy. It is relentless. And as we get older, we have less of it, and you can never make it up. And so it's a really important lesson, especially for younger people. I'm seeing a bit of a trend in the workplace right now with my kids in their late 20s, early 30s, that there is more value placed on family time and not to kill yourself working all the time, working all the time and giving up what you can never get back. And I'm 
I have to say I'm happy. I've, I've done what you did, John. I spent an awful lot of time at work, and I wish I could have some of that back. Eh, it is what it is, but a good lesson for you younger listeners out there listening to this show right now. Yeah, maybe that'll maybe I can help somebody avoid that. This I hope so. I hope so. Hey, let's talk about a special vehicle in your life. Now, this could be a vehicle that you've owned and driven and enjoyed, or maybe it was one particular vehicle that you really enjoyed working on in your career. Uh, more importantly, a story about that ride. Well, let's see. Probably there are two of them. One of them was of all places in Texas. I picked up a. 1971 Chevy uh, station wagon, the cheapest one, in fact, is Brookwood or something like that. And uh, I'll tell you what, I love that car dearly. It was an incredible vehicle. It was a boat. It was gigantic. (laughs) It got like nine miles to a gallon. But damn it, that car ran beautifully. And it had a big 400 cubic inch Chevy engine. And it it was smooth as glass, quiet. Almost couldn't hear it running. Really? I, you know, I think of those cars as just giant boats and not that interesting. I would never have thought to describe it the way you experienced it. I'm surprised. Well, I'm a station wagon guy. I love station wagons. And yeah. and this, this station wagon was a, just it was a, like driving a ballroom around the size of a ballroom. And I remember my little daughter in the back. These, this is before seat belts were required and yeah. uh, any any kind of kid seat. They had little kid seats, but they were like plastic buckets. She was in the back and um, like romping around. I'm driving her to school. And the car was rattling. It had these uh, covers over the storage areas. There were metal, no rug. I mean, this was the low-end car. And I said, Kate. You know, make those things stop rallying. And she's spreading out on these things and bouncing around. <laughs> and I'm now thinking about it. My God, I could have killed that little kid. You know, if I put on the brakes faster or get in the neck. Well, of she, course. Yeah. It, I shudder when I think of that. But yeah. I was, this car just went everywhere and, and ran flawlessly. Wow. You know, we had station wagons in my house, the first generation, early 60s, mid 60s, uh, Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser my parents bought. And then they love, bought an, love they, that. they bought another one uh, in the early seventies. The first one was white with the wood fake wood vinyl on the bottom, and then the next one was that avocado green that everything was avocado green in right. those years. You know your your oven, your refrigerator, your phone, your your you know your slacks, uh, Zanzibelt slacks or whatever those were called. But yeah, wagons are a big part. They've kind of vanished now, haven't they? They're gone. Yeah, they're, it's kind of sad. Been, well, I, yeah, but things changed. And uh, you have to just deal with it. But, yeah, it is sad. Yeah, the other well, vehicle that I would tell you about that I loved and admired uh, was fairly recent, a 2010 uh, Ford F-150. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And uh, I bought that car or that truck, I should say, for, for a couple of reasons. I, I drove a Chevy and uh, Silverado or whatever, and it was, it was a good vehicle, except the interior was kind of cheesy. When I got in the Ford, it was like night and day. It was Ford Interior sold that car to me. Um, and then I, once I had it, I did the rest of that was the only flawless vehicle to date I've ever owned. In no kidding. Uh, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. It, in the six years I had that, not one single thing went wrong. Not wow. one, Nothing. Wow. And, I, you know, and, and you could go anywhere. My son uh, pulled his, uh, it had a trailer package, you know, towing package. My son dragged his 34-foot uh, big uh, camper trailer up to Maine with it. 
and and had experienced no problem at all. And it was it wasn't any you know it was a three o or what was it a three fifty or three o five anyway it was this, it was a small block V eight uh-huh. and it was powerful as hell. Wow, but I love that vehicle. Yeah, interesting. Well, Ford, very cool, very cool. They've had a lot of years to get the 150 right, and it's still ticking today. Yeah, uh, reminds me of the uh, the Timex. Takes a lick and keeps on ticking, right? So there, there you go. Still, still in my head. If you were a vehicle, John, this is you manifest as a vehicle. Here's where you can get some of your creativity going. What would you be and why? Oh, this this is an, another one. You probably will be surprised. I would be. I'm a Chevy guy, so I'd be a Chevy. And uh, I would be a Chevy, 1955 Chevy, okay. uh, probably a wagon, probably the 235.6 with power glide automatic transmission, because <laughs> that's a utilitarian vehicle. It's, it, it gets the job done. It's responsible. It's reliable. But it's classic. <laughs> there you go. I love it. So is there a book you'd like to share with us that you've enjoyed reading? Yeah, there was a book I read a, a, several years ago, and it was uh, weird. It was about statistics, and I'm not a math guy, but this was about the way it was called um, the Envisioning Information by a guy named Tufty, a, a professor at Yale in statistics, who really was a graphic designer at heart because he presented his statistics visually, and it was like opening a new world. Now you get it. You see the patterns, the shapes, the proportions of one thing to another. Sort of like a simple bar graph is better than just the numbers on a page. But the way this this guy had all kinds of clever graphic innovations that would communicate certain things. uh, One example I'll give you was, um, it was Napoleon's advance to Moscow. And it starts out with this big, fat, purple area on a map advancing toward Moscow. And as the time changes and gets colder, the, the purple thing, uh, blob or whatever you want to call it, starts to get skinnier and skinnier and smaller until it almost disappears. Wow. And the point being, that's what happened to his army as he advanced on the Russians and the winter just took, took its toll. Oh yeah, if you yeah, know, as well as the Russians. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I took some statistical analysis classes my first year in college, and I had one professor that I always remembered. He did a lot of what you're talking about, and it clicked in my head. Versus the other professors doing it all mathematically, I guess this guy used visual. I'm a visual guy. Uh, studied, you know, design in school and so forth. That's my thing. Uh, yeah, so it just proves there's different ways to teach the same ideas. And some ways click better for other people. So first time, first time that book's ever been recommended. I'll put a link to that. It's available on Amazon. Easy to get still today. So I'm going to let you go on the ultimate drive here. I've got an open checkbook for you, my friend. You can pick any vehicle. You can pick anybody, living or deceased. And you can drive anywhere. What does an ultimate drive look like for a guy like you? Well, the ultimate drive would be in a Boattail Riviera. Okay. <laughs> I still want to get one, but they're getting expensive. Yeah. They're, now, as to who would I go with, I, I really don't know. You know, there there's different people, different uh, reasons why I would select different people. So I, I don't want to name anyone. Okay. For that reason, because otherwise... Would it, 
Would they, it be a designer? Would it be somebody who's an automotive designer or something? Probably who, not. No. Probably. Okay, you've been around too many of those. <laughs> yeah, well, no, not too many, but uh, <laughs> someone with a different slant, probably. Okay. And possibly a musician, though, so we could play bluegrass. But Oh, uh, yeah. But I don't know. I, but definitely would be a 71 or a 72 Riviera Boat Tail. Okay, I like it. Very cool. Well, you know, I want to do a shout out to our mutual friend, Joan. I won't say you're responsible for kicking her out of her job because you weren't. Uh, but Joan Claydell Kramer was a guest here on Cars. Yeah, for you listeners that missed my talk with her, you've got to go back. Um, she's very active still in the creative field. She's written some wonderful books that she actually sent me from my new grandson that was born last year. I read his first Christmas book to him. And it was her book. So Joan, thank you for introducing me to yet another very fascinating guy here in John. Before I let you go, John, could you share a an inspirational quote, a mantra, or some kind of a meaning that has, or I should say, some kind of saying that has a meaning to you? Yeah, I will. Uh, it's not a saying. It, it's what I would uh, teach, if you will, to my students at U- University of Bridgeport. I was I was taught there for a couple of semesters. And what I would tell those guys or girls is, uh, in, at the right in the beginning, uh, I would ask them a couple of questions and I'd say, okay, I got four rules of success. If you follow these rules, you will be successful. And I saw this at right from the first week at General Motors or the first month at, at Design Development Studio. One is show up. Yeah. Two is on time. <laughs> Three is do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. And four is do a little extra. And nice. you do those those things with uh, consistency, and you will be successful no matter what you're doing. Pretty simple stuff there, but you know what? A lot of people don't get it. They've never been told. And I'll tell you, all my years of running companies and being part of companies, the people I had the most challenge with were the ones that didn't do those four simple things. <laughs> All the time. You know, I I can't tell you, one of the things I used to do is when people wouldn't show up on time is I'd buy them an alarm clock and I'd wrap it very nicely in a little box and I'd bring them in and say, I need to have a talk with you. And I'd push that across the table and said, I have a gift for you. And you know how the rest of the conversation went. Oh, yes. So I kind of became known as, you don't want to get a gift from Mark. It means you're in trouble. Uh, yeah. But, you know, but it's pretty easy. And pretty simple to be successful. Just follow John's four rules for success. You know, John, you've been great to talk with today. And I can't thank you enough for taking some time away from probably your beach time there in Hawaii. I'm jealous. This has been fun. I I appreciate the opportunity. This is fun. Well, good. Well, I want to thank you again for being so generous with your time. Until you and I talk again, my friend, maybe I'll see you not down the road, but on the beach. That sounds like a nice place to meet. Come on out. (laughs) Mahalo. This has been great. Aloha. Aloha. (laughs) 20, 50, or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles that you and I love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have got to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles are not lost. One of the many ways RPM, short for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, is accomplishing its goals is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM Apprenticeship Program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living 
while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents process of master's training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skill trade, visit RPM Foundation today, one of the charities of choice here at Cars Yeah! Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.
Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.